It was pitch dark, and I was driving out in the pouring rain in the middle of nowhere. I could barely see anything through the windshield, and I had to solely rely on the GPS on my phone to find my way. Suddenly, panic set in when I realized that my phone was down to its final 5% battery life. I had never prayed as fervently as I prayed in my entire life as I did at that very moment. I think I broke out in tongues, praying that somehow my phone wouldn't die and that I would find my way back on the main road. Most of us here in this room are dependent on our phones every day to stay connected with the world around us. But what would happen if we stopped charging our phones? Most of our phones wouldn't last a single day. Some phones with good battery life might last a few days. But eventually, all phones will die if you don't plug it in to a power source. A cell phone without power might look nice and shiny on the outside, but it's essentially useless. Similarly, there may be Christians out there who feel powerless. They may look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's no power. Today's text shows us how to access that power. Starting today, we're entering into a new sermon series for the rest of the summer titled Acts of God. We're going to be looking at how the disciples and the early church were clothed with power from on high that spread the movement of Christianity all over the world. Let's take a look at today's text in Acts chapter 1, verse 2 to 3. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive, himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I want you to imagine what it was like for the disciples to have Jesus back from the dead. They saw him brutally beaten, flogged, marred beyond recognition, and crucified. Their beloved teacher whom they loved, whom they thought was dead, was now fully alive in their midst. He walked with them, broke bread with them, and even taught them about the kingdom of God just like the good old days. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days to prove that he was truly alive. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus had his disciples closely examining his body, even touching his nail-pierced hands and his side. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses after his resurrection. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. Why did Jesus present himself to so many people? Well, Jesus was about to return to the Father and pass on the baton to his disciples who would carry out his mission. He needed to make sure that they were totally convinced that Jesus was truly alive. He knew that they would face much opposition and persecution for proclaiming the gospel, getting arrested, flogged, and beaten. Their 
confidence in his resurrection was the sole basis of their faith that would help them persevere through hard times, even unto death. Without the resurrection of Christ, the gospel was incomplete. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, all of mankind would be subject to sin and death. But praise God, Jesus did rise from the grave, which shows us that his sacrifice on the cross fully satisfied the weight of our sin and that we truly are set free from the power of sin and death. Well, it's no wonder that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people after his resurrection to dispel any questions or doubts that they might have had on whether he was truly alive. I wonder what it was like for the disciples in their final moments with Jesus. They were probably overjoyed to be in his presence and at the same time really sad at the thought of him leaving again. Why did Jesus have to go? Wouldn't it be better if he remained with us? Well, Jesus answers this in John 16, verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who will, not, the helper will not come to you, that I will send him to you. As great as it was for the disciples to have Jesus physically present with them on earth, he could only be with them at one place at one time. Heaven, on the other hand, was not bound by time or geography. And by returning to heaven, Jesus could be with any one of them, anywhere, at any given time. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he wasn't abandoning his disciples saying, good luck, you're on your own now. No, rather, by returning to heaven, he rejoined his place in the Godhead and made himself even more readily accessible to all his followers through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ascension to heaven didn't mark his absence, but it heightened his presence among us. His final words to his disciples were in verse 4 to 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What was Jesus referring to here? Well, three years prior, before Jesus began his ministry, John the baptizer baptized Jews with water, calling them to repentance. John would immerse people in water to symbolize their turning away from sin and turning back to God. But in Luke 3, 16, as Jesus entered the scene, John declared, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is what Jesus meant in Acts when he said that he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, guys, remember when John immersed you in water? Well, I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. John drenched you in water, but I'm going to drench you in the Holy Spirit. This is what you'll need in order to carry out my mission. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the reason why Jesus commanded his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit before they left for their mission. They first needed to be clothed with power. That word power in Greek is the word dunamis, which means miraculous power, might, and strength. Jesus knew that apart from the Holy Spirit, we would all lack the power and the strength necessary to be effective witnesses. Now let me just take a moment here and clarify the difference between the Holy Spirit that indwells in a believer and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When a person first gives their lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of them and they become a new creation. He makes his home inside every believer. But what Jesus is talking about here in verse 8 is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes when a person is saved. But he's referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes upon a believer for the purpose of empowerment. That means that it is possible for a person to be saved and know Jesus without having received this promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That was the case in Acts 19, when Paul visited the Christians in Ephesus and asked if they received the Holy Spirit when they believed Jesus. And their response was, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. What happened to those Christians at Ephesus was also my own story. I got saved and walked with Jesus for over 10 years before even hearing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This promise of the Father was not just reserved for the early disciples, but is available for all God's children today. I remember the very first time that I was invited to preach. It was to a small youth group at a Korean Presbyterian church in New Jersey. I had never preached before in my life, and it was before I had taken any kind of preaching class, so I had absolutely no idea what I was going to talk about with a bunch of teenagers. And so I did some research, and I found out that most of these kids grew up in the church. And I began to wonder how many of them had ever really encountered the living, breathing person of Jesus Christ. And so after much thought, I decided that I was going to give a talk on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I figured if I was going to give any kind of talk at a Presbyterian church, it might as well be on the Holy Spirit. And so I went, not really knowing what I was doing, but passionate to see these kids encounter Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that night I gave my talk and at the end invited anyone who wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive prayer. And all the kids stood up, including some of the teachers, and we formed a circle. And I just moved from person to person praying that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And as I prayed, each one began to be filled. Some cried gently, others just glowed, radiating with joy and others were just calm and serene. 
as if nothing could disrupt their loving connection with God in that moment. I finally came to one of the last students in the circle, and just as I was about to pray, the Holy Spirit whispered, ask if she would like to receive me into her heart. And so I asked a young girl if she knew Jesus and whether she would like to receive him into her heart. Tears were already streaming down her face as she nodded her head. Well, it had turned out that she was going through many challenges at home. And the Holy Spirit had been working in her heart for months, waiting for her to surrender her life to Jesus. Right after I prayed for her, I I went to the next student. And just as I was about to pray for him, the Holy Spirit prompted me again and said, ask him if he knows me. And when I did, it turned out that that student was the brother of the girl that had just received Christ. And so he also came to receive Jesus that day. In that one evening, both siblings came to Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Witnessing to people becomes so much easier. It's not about our cleverness, our persuasive words, or our own abilities. But it's so much easier when we simply rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be hearing this and wondering, well, how do you know if you're baptized or drenched in the Spirit? How do you know if you're moving in God's power? Let me answer your question with another question. How do you know when you're drenched? You're dripping wet. You leave a trail of tiny puddles of water as you walk. You get other people wet. Just the other day, I was visiting a young adult Bible study, and it was pouring rain outside. And this one guy got caught in the downpour. And as he walked in, he began to hug everyone as he greeted them. And we all got soaked because of this one guy that was drenched. That's what it looks like when you're drenched in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the places you go and the people you encounter are impacted by the presence of God that you bring. You become bold in your proclamation of the gospel. People experience the love of Jesus Christ through you. Lives are transformed when you are moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do you get drenched? Well, you simply go before the Father like that of a little child and ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This promise was already given to us on the day of Pentecost and is available for all Christ's followers. When you ask God to fill you, his answer is already yes. He wants to pour out his spirit upon you because he knows that you'll need his power and strength in order to carry out his mission. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a one-time single event, but it's a continual process in the life of a believer. Why? Because we don't stay drenched forever. Once we're out of the water, we tend to dry off. And so we need to be repeatedly immersed, soaked, and saturated in the Holy Spirit if we want to be effective witnesses in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our communities. 
Jesus actually said in John 7, verse 38 to 39, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Long before Jesus ascended to heaven, he foreshadowed what would happen to all of us, that we would not only be drenched by his spirit, but that living water would flow out of us. Imagine a constant flow of the Holy Spirit pouring into you and into me and flowing out of us as a continuous stream, touching those that we encounter and bringing them to life. The fact that we're gathered in this room today is evidence that the early disciples succeeded in their mission. They went out to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to proclaim the gospel. And we have the same mandate today to go out into all of Fairfield, Connecticut, New York City, New Jersey, and to the ends of the earth to make Christ known. So when was the last time when you were drenched in the Holy Spirit? For some of you, this may be the very first time that you're even hearing about this. And for others of you, you may have been a Christian for a long time, and you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you're feeling dry and thirsty. God not only wants to fill you again, but he wants you to overflow with rivers of living water. I'm going to close us out with a word of prayer. But for those of you who would like extended prayer and the laying on of hands to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, please approach any of our pastors or our elders in the prayer chapel after the service. There will also be opportunity during communion to receive prayer from our prayer teams. Now for anyone who would like to receive this promise of the Father, I want to encourage you right now, just where you are, to open up your hands as if you're receiving a gift. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but you sent us the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, to teach us, to comfort us, and to empower us to be effective witnesses. Lord Jesus, we surrender our lives to you and ask that you would fill us again with the Holy Spirit. In the same way that heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, I pray that the heavens would be opened in this place and the Holy Spirit would descend upon your sons and daughters. As you come upon us, may we overflow with rivers of living water that brings healing and life to all those that we touch. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.